You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon members. Thank you so much. You're the reason this podcast is still going. If everyone who listened to this podcast gave just $1 a month, we could both turn this podcast into a full-time job and be certain that we could keep it going throughout the pandemic and keep bringing you more episodes. It would be a win for everyone. If you're not a member and you're able to donate, go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl. Members get ad-free episodes, extra episodes about fascinating topics, and hilarious, mostly drunken conversations we've had with other podcasters and guests. Go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl and sign up today to join the fun. Minotaur Tours! Get your Minotaur Tours here! Is it everything still on for me? Yes, looks good. I have hit record and we are now doing mm-hmm. the thing. Okay, let me find my notes. All right, all right. Here we go. Doing a nice sound test. Yay! Everybody set? I'm Jen McMenemy. And I'm Jenny Williamson. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. So we're here today with Liv Albert from Let's Talk About Myths, baby. Hi, Liv. Hi, Liv. Hi. Oh, that was pretty good. What note was that? (laughs) It's called The Only Note I Know. Vibrato and everything. (laughs) (laughs) To talk about her latest obsession. You guys, Liv is obsessed. And that obsession has a name. And that name (laughs) is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I mean, yeah, I basically like conned you guys into letting me come onto the podcast to specifically talk about this thing that I love. I use my friendship to my advantage. We're good with it because people love those episodes. So just I'm your perfect (laughs) guest. I'll just keep coming back and back and back. We have a a whole separate podcast on our Patreon about Greek mythology that is drunk. Yeah, just so that I get to come back all the time. And so that I get to drink. Oh, wait. The entire podcast is just to facilitate Jen's drinking. <laughs> and my drinking. Dark as that may be. <laughs> I mean, that's real, that's real dark. I kind of I kind of don't want to lean into that too heavily, but... But also, it's not wrong. So anyway, we're here today to talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And 
just let live loose on this topic. And I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. This is the perfect timing because we've been spending a lot of time in ancient Greece. Yeah, there is relevant information. I do just want to say, like, as much as I have convinced you guys to let me do this, like, it came up out of relevant information. We're going to try to make it relevant, but it could just be talking about the game and that would be fine. <laughs> that would be fine. But all I'm going to say is we've been spending a lot of time hanging out with some sex workers of ancient Greece and somehow their parties in their world are also reflected maybe a little bit in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. No spoilers, but definitely spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen to this episode. Yeah, I'm going to spoil the full end end game of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So if you don't want that spoiled, you're going to want to miss this episode because the spoiler is the reason we're talking today. So Liv, can you give us some background on this game and how you got into it? Well, I think the funniest thing about all of this and the fact that I'm doing this and that making you guys listen and all this is like, this game is like a few years old now. We're so behind the times on talking about it. Like since it came out, they've released like two DLCs, like these expansion pack type things and the whole new Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Assassin's Creed, which is Valhalla. The next one was all about Norse everything. I haven't played because I will only live in ancient Greece forever. But it's just, it's quite silly that like I've discovered it and I'm acting like it's brand new and I'm making you guys talk about like it's brand new and it's not remotely brand new. It's just that it's somewhat new to me. I started playing in November and I will never stop. And I just want to talk about it, even though I have already had an episode on my podcast about it, but it's almost more fun to share it with you guys because you've not played. And also it's just so fucking dorky. I feel like we should all talk about our gaming history. Like, I, in the past, have been an RPG fanatic, and my particular nerdhood was the Final Fantasy games, but this was a really long time ago. Like, I think Final Fantasy twelve was the last one I played or something like that. They've done, I think, a lot since then. I really ha- I'm not on top of it. And the reason that I, st- I also got into Ocarina of Time, and the reason I don't play games anymore is because I just get really into it, and then I don't do anything else. So I have two younger brothers, and both of them really enjoy playing video games. And it was really difficult because I never really got a chance to play video games. But I kind of learned to like watching and like picking apart the story and the structure, particularly like Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) Final Fantasy VII! Oh my god, I love it! I didn't know we shared that. We do. Um, I also enjoyed like the T-player games where like occasionally I got to like, I don't know, be a boxer or be a whatever, be Mortal Kombat. I was good at that Street Fighter. Oh my God, I'm aging myself here. And then kind of as an adult, like I've always seen video gaming as a bit of a time suck. Ha ha ha, same, that's why I'm here. Liv has been telling me about Assassin's Creed Odyssey and everything she tells me about it makes me think that I should just splurge and get this game. And then somebody today tweeted us. Literally today. (laughs) I know the best timing, the absolute best timing. They tweeted us a scene from Assassin's Creed Odyssey that was um, these guys drinking and playing Kotovos. And I was like, wait a minute, you can go find these assholes who are drinking and flinging wine? Why am I not playing this game? They're hardcore flinging the wine. I just want to give credit to the person who actually shared us this little clip video. Um, I just found it on Twitter. It was Bailey and uh, their handle is at Queen Gorgon, which is perfect. So thank you, Bailey. Um, So I never played Final Fantasy. 
Um, apparently I'm just out of the loop there. My history is basically that like I grew up barely even being allowed to watch TV a lot of the time. Um, but then I did find a used Sega Genesis, at, like a garage sale and I bought it and then I had that, which, so I was playing it like probably five years after it came out. So it was really dated. It was like all my friends had N64 and I had this Sega Genesis and I would play Jurassic Park and the Lion King game. And I think that's basically it. The Lion King game is a perfect game, except for those fucking wildebeests. I will remember them for my entire life is trying to get past the wildebeests. Like as if it wasn't sad enough when Mufasa dies and then you fucking have to like let these things chase you down. Horrifying. God, the 90s were a time in video games. Lord. Whew. But then later, and again, still late, I did get access to an N64. And so we were playing things more like Pod Racer. And then, like, Mario Party is my life source in a thing, and I will play Mario Parties 2 and 3 for the rest of my life. My sister and I have done this forever, have, like, intense competitions. It's really bad. So, but basically, mine was, like, limited to N64, and then, you know, like, 25 years happened, and I just didn't do anything. But basically, for the same reason, like, people started tweeting at me as soon as Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out, because I was podcasting, and it was relevant, and... At first, I was just kind of like, you know, I'm not really into video games. I never had been, but it was because I hadn't experienced anything. And then finally, enough people, basically enough people told me that I could use it just to wander ancient Greece. And then I saw enough photos from it that I was like, ha ha ha, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. But I knew, like you, Jenny, that it would take over my whole fucking life. And so I did not allow myself to start playing it until I became full-time at podcasting because I knew like if I did I basically would have to just end the podcast because I wouldn't have been able to do it all with my day job I just would have wanted to play this game all the time and it would be like sorry guys podcast over like I just have to keep playing this game forever but in, and I was right because as soon as I got it I put in like I basically beat the game in the first month without the DLCs but like the main game but then I accidentally overrode it and then had to do it all over again and anyway now I just keep playing exactly the same thing over and over again and I will never get sick of it and I will never <laughs> stop wanting to wander ancient Greece and uh yeah it's just uh, it's really fun there is one thing that you told me that got me real excited about this game and like oh I need to own this and it's that so I have this weird thing where I like to be on top of things if there is like a ruin I'm like how do I get on top of that and like Liv was like so that's just basically what you do in this game you climb on top of things the answer is you don't because it's been here for thousands of years. Stop trying to ruin it. Right. But in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I'm not hurting anything. I can just climb on the things. So let me use that to dive like right into this game. Okay. So basically, starting from the beginning, well, and the, the best and worst thing for me when I started it, because like I said, so this was like I had not played a game since an N64. And so I was thrown into this game. And the thing about Odyssey is that they made this decision that... When you first press play on this game, you literally get thrown directly into the Battle of Thermopylae. You do not get to play a single action in this game before you are tossed into the Battle of Thermopylae. I'm sorry, the, the military history nerd in me is freaking out right now. The part of me that was like, I have never played a video game before was like, what am I doing? And then, so I found this out when I had to replay it after I like overwrote it by accident. So the first time I played, it actually did not tell me the controls, but it is meant to. And I don't know if it bugged out or what, but I just mashed buttons until I survived. And then I played it again and it like tells you what buttons to press. Isn't that like Street Fighter, the whole thing? Like you just mash a whole bunch of buttons. That's what I do. <laughs> just mash buttons. 
Oh my god, that is exactly how I play every game. <laughs> I don't think you do it well but if you do it that way, but you can survive maybe sometimes. I think that's how I do it in real fights. I'm like, I just flail until I live. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically you're just tossed into Thermopylae. You're, I think you are Leonidas. Yeah, you just like are Leonidas at first. And it has this whole like purpose to the game. And, and ultimately what it is is that it's just teaching you the controls right off the bat. But it's incredibly scary and stressful. And I actually gave it up for like a night because I was like, no, I can't do this. I'm going to fail. It was so bad. And it was just mostly my own like inability to, I don't know, be confident. I mean, what's exciting about that is that like it's so it's so engrossing from the first minute that you actually feel feelings about it. Oh my god, yeah, especially like, I mean, you know, I'm just a dork, so this was huge, and so yeah, you're just like, you're tossed into Thermopylae, you have to fight, then it starts like what the actual storyline is, and the Thermopylae is not a part of the story, well it is, but like, not in terms of your character directly, but it's just the way to like, teach you the beginning of the game. There's this whole backstory to Assassin's Creed Odyssey that I don't really care about. There's all these like, modern elements about why you're there. It's essentially like this like modern person who gets to go into this like machine and then come out as this character in ancient Greece. I don't care about any of that shit. I only want to be in ancient Greece. So we're not going to do it with that. I'm in agreement. I have no desire to hear about like time travel, modern people being in ancient Greece. I just want to be in ancient Greece. Exactly. Like, fuck them. I get so mad every time they force me to do that in the game that I would just like get super fuck. Like, I'm so angry about it. It's so dumb. Oh, no, it's not dumb. I support that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's such a huge part of Assassin's Creed. So I think a lot of people who are like Assassin's Creed fans, they care a lot about that part. Meanwhile, I was only playing this for the ancient Greece. So I was like, what are you doing? Like, don't take me out of ancient Greece. I'm not going to say they're wrong. I'm not going to say they're wrong. Everyone likes what they like. But for me, well, there's so many games. I get it. Like you like that lore. But yeah, no, we only care about ancient Greece. But that's all to say, like, you use that function to basically you get to pick one of two characters. And I think this is one of the first games, the first Assassin's Creed games where you get to pick to be a woman if you want. And as far as I understand it from, I interviewed Dr. Kira Jones, who specializes in like classics and video games, which is so fucking cool. So she came on my show to talk Odyssey and it was super fun. And she told me basically that they built the game around the woman character who I will get to because she's a queen. And then they were basically told they had to have a guy option and then marketing ended up marketing only the guy. So you got the sense that he was like the canon player. Oh my God, that doesn't surprise me at all. I know, right? It's like, oh God, misogyny in video games? What are you talking about? That's not a thing. It's totally not a thing at all. I just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically you had to pick between these two people, Cassandra or Alexios. Obviously you should pick Cassandra because she's amazing because she's a woman but and like so badass but also because alexios is like kind of a shit actor in the game he's just not half as good it's just so weird anyway so we're talking about cassandra today so when you start playing this game you you get thrown right onto the island of kefalonia that is where cassandra is starting off her life it's not where she's originally from but we'll get there jenny do you know where kefalonia is no where is it it's over by corfu oh my god corfu it is. Corfu is actually not in the game. So they had to pick their islands. There's like too many Greek islands. So Corfu and Ithaca are the only islands on the west side that are in the game. Or Kefalonia and Ithaca. Not Corfu, sorry. Kefalonia and Ithaca. Yeah, so Cassandra starts out on Kefalonia and she is a Mystheos, which is like a kind of a bounty hunter, but like there are bounty hunter aspects as well. 
but you're called the Mystheos, which is really cool. They use, I think, a mixture of ancient and modern Greek, but they use modern Greek pronunciation of things, which is quite nice. And like, I mean, it's accurate in the way that like they're not trying to do English pronunciations, which is nice. Is a Mystheos a real thing from the ancient world? I looked into it and it basically just means hired. So I think it can refer to a lot of different things. But probably if you're calling someone a Mystheos, you're more referring to somebody who like is paid to complete tasks and or kill people because you do a lot of things that aren't killing people, but also you kill a lot of people. So like task rabbit it, it's basically ancient task rabbit jenny that's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i mean you start on kefalonia and it, there's a lot of it, it's just kind of like getting you used to the game and all of those things and the first time you leave kefalonia is that this guy asks you to go get penelope's shroud oh the one that she was making throughout the entirety of the odyssey Yes. So you literally take this little boat because it's just this tiny stretch of water across to Ithaca. And Ithaca is like this silly little island, which is like so true. And it just has Odysseus's palace, like the ruins of his palace. Odysseus's palace is like the first major like notable place you go to which obviously made me lose my whole fucking mind yeah i mean in case in case listeners don't know Liv dedicated a book to odysseus he is my problematic fave if you've listened to her podcast you definitely know this but if if for whatever reason you somehow found us first (laughs) (laughs) that was that chance might be (laughs) 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 sorry And we all collapse into hysterical laughter. (laughs) The small sliver of listeners who found us first will know that I have a problematic fave too, and it is Alaric of the Visigoths. So I relate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whereas I'm just always like, Team Hector. (laughs) Hector isn't problematic. Hector is one of the least problematic, like, main men of mythology, for sure. Anyway. Odysseus's palace on Ithaca. So... (laughs) The thing that like first blew my mind in this game, I mean, for one, the accuracy in terms of like you're you're in the fifth century Greece, but you don't really know totally where you are yet. And I'm I'm doing it kind of the way it takes you slowly into it in the game because I think it's a good build up. But basically you start in this Kefalonia and you get to see some of the temples, which are really interesting. They really got like they got it very accurate in terms of broadly what we know from archaeology and history. Obviously what we know tends to be from certain regions and you have to kind of figure it out from there but they got the way that it would be like kind of regionally smaller and more like kind of low-key like more wood structures than marble and things like that like stuff that wouldn't survive in archaeology so we don't actually know what it looks like but there it is exactly yeah and stuff that would be native to like different islands like when you think about like corfu and i'm assuming kefalonia and ithaca because they're they're in the same western coast like the area is different than it is like necessarily on the mainland and it's quite remote. Yeah, it's it's just more of like, yeah, using what you have, right? It wasn't all about like the marble. Greece had a lot of marble, but, you know, they weren't going to transport a ton of it to the islands unless you were a really rich island, because if you didn't have it naturally on that island, like, holy shit, it's expensive to transport marble. The one thing I wanted to say, the reason I started this whole thing is that, Jenny, when you when you said you wanted to, that your biggest thing was to, like, climb on things, the very first thing that you get to climb, really climb, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, is this, like, absolutely monumental, like, just towering statue of Zeus that they've put on Kefalonia. I don't believe there's any proof of, of a statue like that existing, because it's, it's truly monumental. It's like a 15-story building or something. You have to climb it. 
and you have to climb it because the whole thing in Odyssey is you you synchronize these locations. You kind of like you climb them and you click a button and it you give this whole panoramic view of where you are. It's stunningly gorgeous, but also just means you can like travel back there really quickly without like getting on a ship and walking and stuff. And you always have to climb up high to do those things. But this first one is this statue of Zeus. It's just it's so beautifully it's absolutely stunning. And so it's such a perfect example of like how much you're going to climb in this game. Also, it's hard to climb it. And it gave me vertigo at first. It was a whole thing. So I'm going to just say Liv texted us a screenshot of what the statue looks like as she was telling us this. And and it, it is a crotch shot of a naked Zeus, a very uh, anatomically detailed crotch shot. And there is there is somebody hanging off the testicular area. And Liv, my question is, is that in fact you? <laughs> this is i just googled kefalonia zeus statue to give you guys a sense of how big it was but I, this was the first image i got and it seemed the only one to send you just gonna remind you all that zeus in this picture does not shockingly have a major erection and that's because <laughs> they probably will not put that into a video game for the same reason you don't see it on tv shows they didn't have them off in the statuary either this is my ideal climbing situation Liv. you don't even know i'm just like oh my god <laughs> This is so great. <laughs> All I want to do is climb to the top of a giant anatomically correct Zeus. Oh my god, could you imagine? Okay, so <laughs> the thing about Odysseus's palace, it's not just that it's Odysseus's palace, but it is your first real sense of the actual, like, the level of, of historical, like, accuracy and the level of research that they put into this game. Because it's the first example of how they differentiate between the century you're in and what is actually ancient for them. So Cassandra's living in the 5th century BC, but obviously, like, you know, if Odysseus's palace existed, it existed, like, hundreds of years before the 5th century, you know, like, presumably, if Homer was singing about real events, um, he was, you know, it got put onto paper in 7 or 800 BC, who knows how long he was singing it, if he was one person, who knows how many years before they were singing it it actually happened so all to say like you know maybe bronze age and so the palaces that they used to show say these heroes of the trojan war or just overall bronze age look like bronze age compared to the fifth century fresh ones so this palace of of odysseus is these ruins rightfully but it's also these ruins with like Mycenaean paintings inside. They have to generalize because they have to reuse a lot of the imagery. They have to reuse a lot of statuary and temples because like they're not made of money. So respect to that. But the way they reuse things is brilliant. So every time you're in a Bronze Age structure, you get paintings that we have today that we know are from the Bronze Age and they just reuse them. So in that case, we have these, I'm trying to think of what the, the painting is called, but it's these women with these big skirts. I don't think they're Minoan because they also differentiate if we're in Mycenaean Bronze Age versus um, Minoan Bronze Age. Well, the one thing they do is any Bronze Age structures on the islands are depicted as Minoan to kind of keep it in just two. They're not giving you Cycladic versus Minoan. They have two Bronze Age structure types, but we have Bronze Age columns bronze age paintings it's fascinating so they really differentiate the history there between the time frames and so you get this sense that like you're really learning about the levels of ancient greece the like hundreds and hundreds of years that can come in between these people just through this game 
But basically, you know, you do all these things on Kefalonia and then you have to then finally like sail out into the wider Greek world and you're given a ship. Um, You have this lovely man named Barnabas who uh, is your sort of captain kind of, but you're the captain really. I love it when I'm the captain really. I love that. (laughs) Oh, Cassandra is the fucking captain of the Adrestia lord that's your ship's name it's the adrestia and so you finally sail off and you you get to sail your ship through the mediterranean you know and so you're getting towards the mainland and so you're heading towards um megara first where is megara exactly because you've been talking a lot about it it's by corinth it's like above corinth in the same it's like in the isthmus too like it and corinth make up the isthmus but basically, you go to Megara. You're doing all these things, but eventually, along the line, you you learn like the storyline is just so cool. So like Cassandra is the daughter of this major Spartan general and his like totally badass wife, uh, Marini, and it was foreseen that his his child, Cassandra's little brother, or if you play Alexios, then it's reversed. So if you choose to play Alexios, the male character, then Cassandra is his little sister. Basically, like, you will get both characters in your game either way. And so essentially, like, this oracle tells that, like, this this child will be the fall of Sparta. And so they're going to sacrifice it. They're going to throw it off a cliff. Like you do sometimes with children. It, well, yeah. I mean, often, especially in Sparta. Lord. Oh, God. Yeah. It's a, it's a child care option, really. <laughs> <laughs> but so you get all this in flashbacks. You learn this whole thing where, like, Basically, they were all watching this happen. They were going to throw this baby off a cliff and Cassandra tried to stop it. And she ends up falling off the cliff with the baby. And essentially, it it leads you to believe that Cassandra, you know, survives. But the baby has been thrown off and but her family doesn't know she survived, which is like the crux of this story. And so one of the first things you have to do, you get to Megara and you find out that the general that she's been sent there to kill by this random guy, the general she's been sent there to kill is actually her father. And he's like the wolf of Sparta. And you have to choose whether to kill him and then it affects like the storyline later. It's so fascinating. So ancient Greek. It's oh my God, this game is all family drama. Do you kill your father? Are you going to be cursed by the gods for patricide? Oh my god, and just you wait. So, and the interesting thing in here is, like, as much as they talk about the gods, like, the gods don't really play a role until you're in the DLCs, the, like, expansion bits, but we'll get there. Uh, Yeah, we'll definitely get there, because I want to hear your take on the mythology and how they handle it. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Helena Bonham Carter. And for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes. A new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Go 
over to Fuki's next or, or maybe I think so. Anyway, that's where, you know, Delphi is. You go to Delphi pretty early and you have to talk to the Oracle. Can you paint me a word picture of what Delphi and the Oracle look like? Fuck, Delphi's incredible. So basically getting to Delphi is really cool. Like you go through and you do a lot of stuff in Fuki's before you end up there. But at Delphi, you meet the other man who's going to accompany you on your ship all the time. Do you want to guess who it is? Is it Jason? No, no, we don't go mythological here. Is it Odysseus? Of course it's not Odysseus. We went to his pe- the ruins of his palace earlier, guys. Pay attention. This is 5th century Greece. Who might accompany somebody on their ship as they sail all the whole Greek world? Herodotus. That's exactly right, Jenny. Well done. You meet Herodotus right in front of the Temple of Apollo. I win. I win the game. I have win. I have won. You have win. You have win. <laughs> I have win. I might actually keep that in. <laughs> but yeah, you you meet Herodotus and then Herodotus comes along with you the whole time and he's also real nice. Is he writing everything down and documenting the world as he sees it? I mean, and also all the insane bullshit that he came up with. It's like totally ridiculous and was never possibly real. Lord, he's wild. It's all like mixed in together. That's the thing about Herodotus. Oh, yeah. Oh, deeply, deeply. But yeah, so it's really cool. You know, Herodotus is there and he accompanies you. You end up at Delphi. You find out about this group called the Cult of Cosmos, which is your main bad guy. But the Cult of Cosmos is presented as this not quite like a mystery cult because it's not so much about worshipping as it is about like fucking shit up. Basically, they're like they're like a chaos cult. They're like a super villain behind the scenes to just destabilize everything. Exactly. Because what you've learned, I realize the key bit I missed when you get to Megara, like basically as soon as you leave Kefalonia, you learn that you are right in the middle of the Peloponnesian War. Kefalonia is the main island that is like not part of the war, primarily because it serves to introduce you to the game and they didn't throw you right into the war. Because as soon as you get beyond that, you realize that each of these different regions are siding with Sparta or Athens and you get to change that. So your first rule when you get to Megara is you destabilize Megara. That kind of tracks with the history just in terms of how much Megara pissed off Athens to begin the Peloponnesian War. Well, I didn't even know that. So that's great to know because it is the first place you get. You basically learn that your purpose in this game is to destabilize Athens or Sparta. You learn that through destabilizing. I think you, you yeah, you destabilize Athens in Megara so that Sparta can win. Okay, that sounds really familiar. There is a between Pericles and Aspasia and what and what was going on in the historically, yeah. Yeah. Oh well this game is so accurate. But yeah, so basically like you just learn like the whole bad guy in this game is this cult of cosmos who's trying to destabilize everything, like both for Sparta and for Athens. So they're really like not they're just a chaos cult. They're kind of like star player. They call them Deimos at first, and you don't you don't know who they are. The whole name is Deimos. They've chosen to use the name of um, a demon like character, basically those personified concepts. And I think Deimos is something bad, war, some some one of those. It's like Deimos and Phobos who walked with Ares on the battlefield. Yeah, Phobos is fear. Yeah, so it's the other one. But regardless, the whole point is like to be, you know, a baddie. But then you find out that that's your sister and she's like been brainwashed by this cult. Not your sister, sorry. Only your sister if you're Alexios. Why would I say that? It's your brother, Alexios, if you've chosen correctly and you're playing with Cassandra. Obviously, if you've chosen wisely. Yeah, and Alexios makes a much better Deimos because he's such a little dork and like it's just so dweeby. And then like I can't imagine Cassandra as Deimos because it just doesn't suit. I love it that they made Alexios dorky. That's perfect. Well, he no, they don't. They didn't intentionally, no. 
Which by the way, Cassandra's like this supremely muscular, like, I mean, she's feminine, but not over the top. Like she's not the traditional video game, like hottie. She's just a badass in this world. And I, and I love it. One of the biggest things that they change in this game is to like do away with most gender norms, just to pretend they weren't there, which is awesome. So like, primarily the soldiers are all men still, but like, there's bandits that are women the game is about cassandra like a lot of the miss the other mystios the like um the bounty hunters are there's a lot of women and stuff and and women pirates and all these cool things so they just kind of like toss that out the window which is incredible so you do all this whole thing in in focus and that's where you go to the the oracle now i would say the oracle i find to be a bit disappointing it's just not as like mystical as i would have wanted her to be it's probably a little more accurate well actually that's not true because the thing they do with the oracle is to make her an agent of the cult of cosmos which works really well for their story to suggest that like the cult has been deciding the oracular pronouncements for like ever which i think is smart in terms of their storyline but does kind of take away a little bit of the delphi of it all but delphi itself is so stunning and you know they have the whole like sacred way up there and and then they have the the lower piece too of like the temple of athena pronoia which is like further down can i just stop you for a minute so our listeners we won't have dropped our delphi episode yet so they won't know what the sacred way is so could you just tell them a little bit about what that is so, I mean, Delphi is like obviously the the place where you would go for your prophecies for the ancient Greek world, both historically and mythologically. It was very much a real place. They've very much put a lot of stock in the historical pronouncements of the Oracle. It is built onto the side of Mount Parnassus, which is a very tall mountain that Jenny cannot climb as much as she has asked to based on the pictures I have sent. I definitely, she texted me pictures of Mount Parnassus and I was like, can I go on to the top of it a lot? Yeah, and it is an incredibly high mountain, certainly higher than the ones you are around in Vermont, my friend. I do like to go onto the top of things. No, no climbing. It is a real mountain, not a hill in America that is not the Rockies. No, I've been around real mountains in the past. I know. I'm just saying it is one. No, I'm aware. Yeah. (laughs) I'm aware of the difference. (laughs) I like to bug the East Coast for your mountains. I do it in Toronto too. Don't worry. Listen, listen, I'm a girl from Long Island where most of the island is like, you know, just at sea level. So anytime I see a big hill, I'm like, it's a mountain. And Jenny's like, it is not a mountain. I think we had an argument about what is and isn't a mountain for like, I don't know, two hours when we were in a car one time. (laughs) We did. Every once in a while, my husband will be like, so do you want to ask Jenny if this is a mountain or not? I'm like, I don't know. She might not talk to me if I Google it, if I ask her about this, if I just text her. It's like, I don't know. Do you want to open that can of worms? I can see the Olympic mountain range from my apartment. So I just feel very strongly about mountains. Granted, those are in America, but they're real mountains. But so anyway, so where was I going? Oh, Delphi. Yeah. So it's built on the side of the mountain and there is um, the primary section where, you know, it was used around this time, the fifth century and, and earlier and later. And that's where, you know, you go to the Oracle in the Temple of Apollo. And then there's all these other like little outbuildings where each region could store all their gifts and their bribes basically to the Oracle, along with a whole other like host of everything. Like there is a hippodrome up there and a theater and all of this stuff. They don't have the hippodrome in the game. But I think it's more suggesting that that was built later, which I don't know the story. Also, there's lots of things that we haven't even uncovered from Delphi because it was actually covered over by a number of earthquakes that like made everything fall in it. That's why Delphi is not very well preserved because it was hit by falling rocks like so many times. One of the things that I think made them think it was a little bit more divine was the number of times the earth would shake under them, which is fascinating to me. But a little further down the mountain is this temple complex called the Temple of Athena Pronaya. 
or one of the temples there is called that. So it's just sort of the whole area is kind of called that. And it's older. It's from a much more, a much earlier timeline where it was more associated with a mother goddess, with um, with just women in general, with Athena, with like the Oracle before Apollo took it over later was much more like a Gaia type thing. And so, yeah, there's just the two kind of sections. And that's sort of what is in this game and also what it is when you go there. And they're gorgeous. <laughs> so essentially, like the fun ways in which they meld some mythology in without making it too obvious in the um, original game that is like without the fate of atlantis dlc which is a, an additional piece that you can buy is that there's this group called the daughters of atlant uh, daughters of artemis and so you you come across them they are these groups of women who have animals around them all the time so they have like tamed animals that live with them bears and wolves and foxes no there's no foxes in the game i don't think they had foxes in greece they definitely had foxes in Greece because of this Spartan shirt fox. I've never heard of a fox in mythology is all, I suppose. Obligatory statement. If you have a shirt fox, you guys, tell someone. Call 1-800-SHIRT-FOX. So essentially, like, one of the myths about Sparta's manhood is there was this boy who was training to be, I guess, a Spartan warrior. He found this little fox cub and he was like, I really love this little fox cub. I'm going to keep it with me. I'm going to put it next to my chest and keep it close and not tell anyone it's there. And the fox... She's writing some fan fiction here. I'm just getting into the psychology of a boy who would put a fox in his shirt. Anyway, he finds a fox, sticks it in his shirt or his tunic, and the fox is, like, not happy to be in there and starts clawing at him, which a fox wouldn't do, but anyway. And it eventually, like, rips out his innards and, like, he doesn't tell anyone because he's like, I'm Spartan. I am, like, a strong, hearty boy. Yeah, I'm stoic. He's very stoic. I show no sign that I'm being disemboweled by my shirt fox. Anyone who's seen, like, a European fox, they're not little. They're, like, the size of a small dog. So this had to be a fox cub at the smallest. Did people not hear the small growly sounds and see the blood stains? Well, the whole problem is he's keeping it a secret under his, like, tunic. If you fed the fox and tried to tame the fox as opposed to, like, keeping it close to his body in some weird way, it wouldn't have gone down that badly. Obviously, this whole thing with the shirt fox is non-consensual for the fox. So if it's gnawing your innards, take a hint. That's the shirt fox story. I can't find a single source that it's real except for random people talking about it on the internet. I'm so baffled. It's Plutarch, Liv. It's fucking Plutarch. So what you're saying is it may very well have not actually existed in ancient Sparta. Obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you think this was a real story? No, it ver no I, I'm not denying that. It's just Plutarch just makes me go like, well, 50-50 because he's very late. <laughs> So where were we? <laughs> Are we talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Last I heard, we were talking about Delphi. Oh, no. What we were talking about was the Daughters of Artemis. Yeah. So there's this this group. And I don't know the accuracies. I don't know about the Artemis cults. I'm assuming there's like a large chunk of accuracy in this. But the Daughters of Artemis are this group of huntresses out in the woods who have like tamed animals. And they are some of the hardest people to kill in the whole game. Obviously, I wanted to avoid killing them in general, but every once in a while there's a quest where you have to, and it was a real big bummer. But they are so hard to kill. They're incredible and so cool. It's, I mean, it's intense. They, like, hit you with so many fire arrows that you're, like, just completely fucked. I will say that I really appreciate the feminism of this game. Like, I feel like what they're doing is fighting against misogyny in video games in a really subtle way. Like, the hardest villains are the women. Yes. 
and they had a lot of backlash. Did they? Huge, apparently. I didn't, I wasn't here for it, but I was told about it by Kira, yeah. The proof for me that this game was built around Cassandra and not Alexios, and that Alexios was the afterthought, is this Daughters of Artemis storyline. So pretty early on, like in Fokis, you run into one of these Daughters of Artemis, and she asks you to go kill the Caledonian boar. What? You don't meet up with Atalanta, do you? This is their little link to mythology, and it is just in these animals that have these mythological names, and they are hard to kill. But it's their little link without explicitly giving you myth content, which I appreciate because they're putting this in the Peloponnesian War. They've chosen to situate it in history. And so instead of going beyond the history, except for when you get to the Atlantis stuff, they give you this little taste. So the first animal you have to kill is this Caledonian boar. It's very hard. I did it last night as my like second game as Alexios because I've already done it as Cassandra, obviously. But once you kill the Caledonian boar, you go back to this priestess of the daughters of artemis and they have this other list of animals that you have to do away with until you get to this like very special reward and along the way every one of them you kill you get like this whole outfit and again i haven't done this as alexios yet so i don't know how they make it work because you get this whole artemis outfit the prizes as you kill these are like artemis is like headdress and it's so badass and artemis is like whole tunic and like everything artemis other than the caledonian boar you have to kill the aramanthian boar he is the funniest it's another very hard boar to kill so many boars oh yeah there's so many boars in the game and they're the scariest like lions are pretty scary but it is like the boars are so hardcore and they'll knock you off your horse and take you out like because that's what was true about ancient greece it's probably true about actual boars boars are terrifying yeah, exactly. In ancient Greece. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to fight a boar with my bare fisticuffs or even a stick. No. Well, and I had my spear. Like, he took me out like six times yesterday and I finally did it. So annoying. But the other animals that you have to kill are the Aramanthian boar, which, like I said, is another boar. But it's really funny because it farts toxic gas that actually poisons you. And that's the way it kills you. And it's really hard because of it. It's so funny. That's amazing. That's probably accurate. <laughs> oh, my God. It's great. And so... There's that one, and then there's um, the Lycaon wolf, which, of course, like, Lycaon was the famous, you know, first werewolf in Greek mythology. You have to kill Callisto the bear, which was a real big bummer. And then you have to kill the Nimian lion. He's very hard. And then, Jen, do you want to guess one of the other ones further down south? Mayhaps. Cretan bull! Cretan bull! You Cretan bull! Cretan bull! Exactly, because we don't go deep, we don't go full mythology, so you don't get unrealistic, you don't get a hydra, you don't get monsters, you get these, like, mythological versions that are still real animals. On Kithara, you have to kill this hyena, which, frankly, I don't understand at all, and I haven't looked into whether... How did they get a hyena there? They even say it's not meant to be there, but I don't think there's a hyena anywhere in myth. But the thing is, is that, and this is another big spoiler, but when you finally complete all of the Daughters of Artemis quests, you become the head of the Daughters of Artemis. It's badass. And then every time after that, they won't kill you when you come across them. So these huntresses that are otherwise like some of the hardest people to kill, they won't attack you. So you're fine. To me, this is proof that they built it around Cassandra because like, it's like a huge side story like it's so hard to do these are some of the hardest creatures to defeat in the whole game and so it's this epic side story where if you finally do it all you get this epic reward where you can dress up entirely as artemis and you become the head and i just don't think that they would have built that around alexios because it's bizarre and wouldn't make sense and like somebody who devotes herself to artemis would probably not put a man in charge i mean they let men join if you didn't want sex you were allowed to join 
But it's things like that. It's just really, it's really fascinating. It's so in-depth. And it's such like a fine line they draw between myth and reality, which I love. And so pretty early on, you get into Athens because Athens becomes this like big point of storyline because ultimately you're trying to find your mother. You find out that she's alive and you're trying to find her. And so Athens is an easy place to ask these questions. You end up in Athens, which is where you meet literally everybody. Once you get to Athens, eventually you meet Pericles and Cleon and they're like having a democratic debate because Pericles is the leader. Cleon is is the one trying, he's like, I'm for the people, we're against Pericles, like this whole thing. And you meet Phidias, who is this sculptor who sculpted like the, I'm pretty sure he he's the one who did the like Athena statue at, at the Parthenon. Eventually, you do meet Socrates, and he is one of the most annoying and lovable characters in the whole game. He just talks and talks and talks and asks you all these philosophical questions. And like, I think they really like captured his vibe of like, okay, we get it. You're smart. Like, can you zip it? And even like Cassandra sometimes annoyed with him. I love it. So eventually in Athens, you you get invited to a symposium at Pericles' house. And this is where you meet, really meet everyone. Yeah. So this is where you meet Socrates. This is where you meet Sophocles, who's like really kind of weaselly and like, I don't know if he's just like really introverted or what, but he's kind of, he's like in a fight with Euripides, who's also there. My main man, Euripides. Euripides is also, he's shy. He's actually, he's, it's quite sweet. Like Euripides is quite shy. And Sophocles is kind of mad at him for some reason. I forget why. But basically Sophocles has you get a, get Euripides drunk with Aristophanes. And so like Sophocles is kind of like hiding out in another room. It's the greatest thing ever. Oh my God. I died. I like the excitement with which I played this game for the first time and still do. But you get to go to this, the... <laughs> Like, so you go to the the symposium and, and Sophocles has you get Euripides drunk. You have to pick your wine because one's going to make Aristophanes sick and one's going to make him drunk and happy. And to be fair, that is actually what happened at the symposium. Right? You have to play that shell game. You have to be the symposiarch. It's like... Wait, do you want to hit live with the quote that we have, the Dionysus quote? I think she's going to like it. Should I go draw it up? Yeah, go go draw it out. It's a good quote. You're going to love this, Liv. So this is from um, Eubulus. This is a play from like around 375 BC. This is about Dionysus in this play is the symposiarch who is controlling the mix of water and wine in the massive crater that everybody's drinking from. And this is his strategy for crater management at the symposia. Quote, For sensible men, I prepare only three craters, one for health, which they drink first, the second for love and pleasure, and the third for sleep. After the third one is drained, wise men go home. The fourth crater is not mine anymore. It belongs to bad behavior. The fifth is for shouting. The sixth is for rudeness and insults. The seventh is for fights. The eighth is for breaking the furniture. The ninth is for depression. The tenth is for madness and unconsciousness. It just describes the progression of any one of our Spartacus Mondays, really. <laughs> it's again why I love Dionysus so much. He's like, look, if you go home after three, you've had a good night. If you keep hanging out, you're fucked. And you might wind up like Midas with the jackass ears. It's fine. <laughs> Story of my life. Um, I, lo- I mean, and that's basically what the symposium is. Like, there's so much wine. So your point is to get Euripides drunk, but also you have to watch how drunk Aristophanes gets with him. And Aristophanes is like kind of annoying. Clearly, that's not surprising. Meanwhile, Euripides is like exactly what I want him to be. 
<laughs> Liv He's is like, blushing a little bit. It's adorable. Is he really earnest and shy and like thinking and brooding? Yes! I love him. He's so sweet. And so he get to do this because they have some information and whatever. It's very fun. But I ended up the second time around, I, I kept playing. So you get the information out of Euripides that you need when you get him drunk because he gets a little happy and he gets chattier with you. It's so sweet. And then you can keep playing and you end up having this like drinking singing game with Euripides and Aristophanes and you and and it's beautiful. I can report this is true. This is one of the games they did. I love it because I've never looked into this. I just love this game so much. <laughs> Everything that you've told us is completely historically accurate. Okay, so the Scolion, the dirty drinking song, big feature of the symposia. The shell game where you decide who gets drunk and who doesn't is a very big Hatera thing. So there's only one Hatera there and she's an ex-Hatera. Who is she? Well, I think you might be able to guess, given we're at Pericles' house. Is it Aspasia? It sure is. And she is like the belle of the fucking ball. Are we ready to talk about our queen? Pericles didn't throw fucking symposiums. No, he's upstairs. You actually have to like leave the symposium to go talk to him because he does not come down. (laughs) Aspasia was part of the philosopher set. Like she... Had people who followed her own school of thought. She had the kind of mind that inspired other great minds to be better and do better. Well, at this point in the story, you really like her. Like, she, she's really kind and she helps you to find your mom to get some information. You know, she tells you to go to Corinth to talk to some real hetere because that is where they are in Corinth. That's where they all come from. Oh, yeah. I'll get to Corinth next. Like, you go to the symposium because all of these people have information about your mother. And so you, you're told to go to Corinth. You're told to go to a little island called Chios. You're told to go to those two places. And you're told to go to see a little guy. He's really working on this whole medicine thing, this whole doctoring thing. He's down in, I think at the beginning, he's down in Argos. You might have heard his name. Uh, it's, 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 no, 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 no. It's Hippocrates. It's Hippocrates. Hippocrates, I guess, is the, is the English way of saying his name. Hippocrates. It's the oath. Yeah, exactly. There's a certain oath. So (laughs) you're just told to go to all these places, but basically we'll jump right to Corinth. This feels like a drunk myth, except it's just me trying to talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. (laughs) This is going to be like a fucking drunk Assassin's Creed Odyssey. We just invited you on to drunkenly tell us about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's the plan. Yeah, this is madness. It's utter madness. But so basically you walk into Corinth and you like are just wandering through this town and Cassandra sometimes announces things to you, the, like, player. And she basically says, like, Corinth, the city of Thebes and Hatteri or something. Like, she literally is just like, this is a sex city. And they make it very clear. They're like, there's nothing in Corinth except for sex. And the first place you have to go is the region of town called the Pornion. What's the Pornion? It's basically, as far as I know from the game, it's essentially like the explicit red light district. It's like where you go for the Hetera, but wait until you get to the Acrocorinth because essentially you go to this region of town called the Pornion, which like obviously they're getting words and English words from that. You go there and you find these women who don't call themselves Hetera. So I think they're even like a rung lower than Hetera when it comes to sex work. So you're looking for this Hetera, and so you go to talk to them, and they're like, oh, the Hetera do not hang out down here. You have to go up to the Acrocorinth, to the Temple of Aphrodite up there. 
One of the other places you go to based on the information you got at the symposium is Kios. And on that island, it's the best because it's an island almost entirely run by pirates. Oh my god, Jenny, that reminds me of that pirate island from our Patreon episodes. I mean, which one? Because there were several. The one with the water slides. Oh, that wasn't even an island, Jen. That was just like a region. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I don't care. So the thing about this pirate island is that not only is an island almost entirely run by pirates, but it is totally like top of the rung run by this one particular pirate named Zania. And she is badass. She is hardcore. She's like stacked and tall and just like big lady. She is super cool. She is really dark skinned, which is like, like the, oh, that's the other thing about this game that's super important is that the levels of skin tone is like accurate as shit. That's fucking amazing. Varying levels of skin tone. Nobody is particularly pale. Like it's just very accurate in terms of what ancient Greece would be like. It's like not a sea of white people. Absolutely not. Not even a sea of like light brown people. Like everyone moved around. The Mediterranean is big and they all moved and emigrated and shifted and all of this. So it's very good at that. And Zinnia is the greatest example. She's this like absolutely badass pirate queen, (laughs) super dark skinned. She's really tough at first. You're also able to flirt with her. There are a lot of different characters that you're able to flirt with. Like, is Cassandra queer? So you can make her whatever you want. You're allowed to flirt with a lot of different characters. Basically, there's little chat functions. Like, uh, you get to choose what you say to, like, influence the storyline in various ways. And there will be some options that have, like, a little heart next to them and they're flirty. But they're very romantic flirty. They're not, like, sex-based, which is, you can have sex, though. Don't get me wrong. But what's great is that they don't make it easy to be gross. And this is what I talked to Kira about too. Like you can't easily sexualize people. Like you can choose to flirt with them, but it tends to be really sincere and nice, which is just kind of lovely. Except for this one lady that I should have mentioned in Delphi. You run into her and she's like so sex crazed. She's so sex crazed and her husband can't keep it up. They're very old. (laughs) And so you have to go get her ingredients for like a potion to help her husband. (laughs) It's so funny. And then... He is still really exhausted. And so you get to have sex with her instead if you want. And it's funny. That one's, that's the one of the only ones that's like purely sex. And it's incredibly entertaining. But then to get back to the, um, the pirate queen, uh, Zania on Kios, she eventually reveals herself to be like a connoisseur of ancient mythological artifacts. And you get this side quest from her where you get to go pick up like Pan's pipe and Apollo's lyre and... Some feather, I forget, I don't know whose feather it is, I can't think of whose it would be, but, you know, from there it kind of goes, and you can sort of go anywhere eventually, um, you can go to all of the islands, and you do eventually get to Naxos, Jen, that's where your mom is, she is like the leader of Naxos, she's the leader of the Spartan party on Naxos, it's so cool, and on Naxos there's so much Dionysus and Ariadne stuff, it's not even funny. There's this whole section of like, just towards the like sort of south, I guess, of the Isthmus. It's just sort of you stumble across them, but there's a lot of evidence of what I will call Theseus's crimes, but which Odyssey doesn't explicitly call crimes or whatever. There is one where it's like, um, what's the guy's name? Procrustes. Like, I, I forget. Procrustes. Procrustes, our old friend. He's the ancient world rack. Only reason I remember his is because it's the Procrustean bed. <laughs> 
and it's like a famous thing. That's how I'm going to refer to the rack from now on. And I do refer to the rack quite a bit in normal conversation. I'll be like the Procrustean bed. Yeah, the Procrust. You should. The, the, I, wa- I want to power through to some of the other cool things. You end up on Crete where there is like so much Minotaur stuff. When you meet your mother, you get this option if you have the Fate of Atlantis DLC, which I have. So I don't really know what happens if you don't have it. But basically she tells you to go to Thera, to Santorini. It is only called Thera back then. Santorini is a modern name. She says like, go there. You can discover things about your father. It's not the guy you thought was your father from Sparta. It's this other guy. So you can go to Thera and there's like, Thera is a volcanic wasteland. It's almost got Akrotiri there where it's got like these ruins of a palace, but it's clearly been just like decimated by a volcano, which happened. But you can do all these different things to like then let you into this secret area down below. And this sort of opens up the fate of Atlantis DLC, which is to suggest that Pythagoras, who is 200 years old and somehow immortal because the Atlantis thing introduces a lot of things that I have some issues with. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Pythagoras is is in there, but he like should have been dead for a long time. He is your father. He's like 200 years old. Accurate. That's true. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, you know, they're having fun with it. I really take issue with anyone saying anything about Atlantis when it comes to Greek mythology, but I'm not going there yet. Essentially, though, the thing that I want to talk about, which is it happens when you first see Pythagoras, is that he tells you you have to complete these acts in order to, like, seal Atlantis, some stupid thing with Atlantis, fuck Atlantis. But basically, this, like, Atlantis DLC actually connects you to real mythology. And what it does is through this, like, Assassin's Creed Odyssey mythology of nonsense of I don't want to get into it. But it the thing that I don't like is that it it makes it not Greek. It turns it into this, like, mythology that exists in the Assassin's Creed universe and therefore takes it away from the Greek a little bit. But ultimately, the the cool bits are that this little island off of Phokis, you have to kill Polyphemus, who's like this fucking enormous cyclops. Polyphemus is the cyclops from the Odyssey, right? From the Odyssey, exactly. Yeah. And he is very hard to kill. And then you also have to kill the Minotaur on Crete. Oh my god, he's scary as hell. Oh, leave that poor half-man half-bull alone. You have to kill the Minotaur, Jen. Deal with it. Just let him live in his little maze. No, he eats virgins. Well, that's because that's all you're feeding him. Like, have you tried feeding him anything else? Have you tried feeding him steak? He eats (laughs) young people. He doesn't explicitly eat virgins. But could you, like, try feeding him something else? Bacon bits, perhaps? Throw in a bacon pig? Yeah, exactly. Did you give him a bacon pig? A bacon pig? Bacon pig is just an entire, like pig made of bacon (laughs) right it's just a pig but bacon pigs are bacon all of the pig is not bacon some of it is pork chops no but bacon is pig yeah but bacon is like particular cut so the idea is like you would just like make a pig-shaped lump out of bacon in my my understanding if you happen to be a bacon pig that means the whole pig is in fact bacon which is not true of the whole pig in real life it's a fantasy pig situation Sure. So, and then the third creature you have to defeat, you have to answer her riddles because she's the Sphinx in Boeotia. And then the last creature, which is interesting to me, and I do ultimately like her, but it is fucking Medusa in the petrified forest of Lemnos, which is a real thing of the petrified trees, and it's fascinating. But the interesting thing about her is that they don't call her Medusa at all. They call her the Writhing Dread. 
the idea of her is that like the last person to defeat her takes her place you find her because this woman is looking for her girlfriend who's been missing and went to went into the writhing dread and never came back and then ultimately it's because this woman's girlfriend became the writhing dread and then you are the one to actually defeat her fully but essentially when you have all of these pieces then you can go off into the fate of Atlantis DLC, which is not quite Atlantis yet. But before that, I just want to tell you real quick about the dorkiness that exists on Crete, because I know Jen is going to appreciate it. Crete is not Crete. It is Mesera and uh, Pefka, two different regions. I don't know the historical nature, but it's because it's fifth century, you know. Basically, the island is two city-states, so it's either Sparta or Athens, but it's two different ones on the island. And Mesera is like pretty normal... And like, just kind of like everything else, you know, it's very desertous. It's there's the Cretan bulls there, lots of fun stuff on Crete. And then you go over into Pefka and it is like, they've, <laughs> in Mesera, you actually can go to the ruins of the palace at Knossos and it's the most beautiful thing. It's a sprawling palace. I like nearly cried. I wandered the whole thing. But then you go over into Pefka and while the actual Minotaur is, is in a labyrinth below the temple, the palace of Knossos, in Pefka, they use all the minotaur iconography and so one of the first people you encounter when you enter like the main city there is this little kid he's literally calling out like to tourists and he's like minotaur tours get your minotaur tours here and he's like a quest until you go on this minotaur tour and basically he's trying to steal your money and like eventually he takes you to this cave where these like thugs come out and try to get your money it's so cute and silly. They're all like overtaken by this like mythology of the Minotaur. There's all these Minotaur statues and all of it's just like a joke and they're really all messy. But also potentially that is something that happened in Crete throughout the ages and like the ancient world. And some of it might actually be people trying to rob you because it's the ancient world and there wasn't much of a police force back then. So why not? Yeah, it's just fun. It's so silly and dorky. And like anyone, any place would would take the opportunity to have like this tourist attraction like this. And they do it so well where it's just so cheesy. It's so cute. How do you feel about how they handled the mythology? Because I'm getting the sense that the mythology is quite subtly handled. Like it's not just like the gods walking the earth. Yeah. So basically that's what I like about the original game. The the main just if you if you just buy Odyssey, um, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get the subtleties. You're going to get the Minotaur tours. You're going to get like the Daughters of Artemis animals that you have to defeat. But then if you have the Fate of Atlantis DLC, they introduce all this mythology. And I have both the DLCs because there's another one um, that's like more based in sort of the lore of Assassin's Creed. But I like it because it only takes place in Greece. But the thing about the Fate of Atlantis, which it's nice because it gives you a lot more to play. So I'm still playing it. I'm like towards the end now. So I haven't fully finished it, I should say, but I'm very nearly finished it in my like original Cassandra game. And it basically turned all of that on its head. All of the like literal nature of, of the historical parts. And it decided to go with mythology. But it decided to go with mythology in that way where I was saying it connects it to this like Assassin's Creed Odyssey mythology. All the gods are these people called Isu, which to me sound like aliens. I don't know the details because I don't know enough about Assassin's Creed, but they do it well. Like, and I know there is all this like AC lore that I don't know. So I'm sure there's more to it. But to me, they just, they're not like the gods, how I would picture them. And there's just like a lot's different to it. And it's much more like futuristic. It is, I mean, it's still interesting. And there's part of it that I do really enjoy. So the first place you go in the fate of Atlantis is actually Elysium. And so in Elysium, you have to defeat Persephone. 
She doesn't like Hades, so that's cool, though I kind of wish she, she wasn't the baddie. But most of the gods are. But you defeat Persephone and Hades and, and Hecate's there, so that's kind of fun. But she, Hecate and Persephone are kind of like bickering. Like, it's just too bad there. Um, Adonis is there. He's leading the human rebellion against Persephone, which I do like because that's great. And so it's fun, you know, it's very like, well, like Elysium's pretty, but it just doesn't. So to me, and the thing I realize why I just prefer to play AC Odyssey more than anything else is just that like, I don't like somebody else's imagination of the mythology. Like I don't, I feel like I don't need that. Like my thing is the history and the mythology and text, but I don't need somebody else's imagination of it because then it always feels wrong. Regardless, like the Elysium one's fun. And then the next place you go is the underworld. In the underworld, actually, that that's my favorite part. Because like Hades is kind of cool. He's a little bit too like Isu, you know, futuristic, whatever. But it opens with you have to kill Cerberus. You're tossed right in. That's the first thing you have to do when you get there is you have to kill Cerberus. So it's very jarring. But then there's this whole like Tartarus thing, all this underworld stuff. And you actually revisit all of these dead people um, that came before in the game. And they like help or hurt you. So people you killed in earlier parts, you find them. It's interesting. And then also you actually have to find all these old heroes. So this is where you actually get the mythology. So you encounter Perseus and Agamemnon and Achilles, I think, and somebody else. And I really, I did enjoy that whole section. It's a very like hellscape without being Christian hell at all. I quite like the underworld and I'm indifferent to the rest of it because the third place you go is Atlantis and Poseidon is the king and it's a whole... I just immediately take issue with anything Atlantis because it's just not a Greek myth and we won't get into it but I will say that plainly and certainly Atlantis is not a Greek myth in any way um so basically that's all to say like I'm not a big fan of the mythology in it and I just like to stay in ancient Greece forever but also I like to play this game so I have played it all yes (laughs) question um so we talked about Aspasia she appeared in a symposia and when we first saw her she was helping the protagonist Mm -hmm. oh my gosh Good grief. So what becomes of Aspasia as we go on? So essentially, like, as you keep going and defeating the cult of Cosmos, there's so many you have to take out. And and as you take more out, it reveals the identities of further members, higher up members of the cult. And down they go and you whittle through them. And Cleon is in the cult of Cosmos. He is a major player. At one point, you find out that You know, he's basically trying to take Athens into it. Pericles is killed. So many historical, like, decisions on their part to be like, fuck it. You know, like, Pericles is killed by the cult. Cleon is part of the cult. But essentially, yeah, so, you know, whittle him down, 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 down until you get to the final member of the cult, the head of it all, the queen of the cult of cosmos. And it is Aspasia. That tracks with the history, Jenny, so well. They don't make her into an explicit villain. They actually, like, give her, like, things to say, whether you agree or disagree. But they don't make her, like, somebody you immediately hate that you, like, want to kill. And I think in the end, you do have to kill her. But it's really fascinating. And it's interesting that they chose not only a real person of history, but, like, a real person who was super interesting and badass in herself. Like this Hetera turned consort of the first democratic leader of Athens. You know, like it's just, it was a fascinating decision and very fun. And this basically all of this absolutely manic episode came out of you guys telling me you were writing a story on Aspasia and me going, okay, but can I talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey? 
<laughs> yeah, and we're like, yeah, I guess you should. I mean, I love that. I kind of love that she's the villain, though. Mm. Well, she's like a puppet master villain. Even as a villain, you get to be complicated and not necessarily hateful. It's just like you happen to be a person who has goals that are different than the protagonist's goals. Like women get to have complexity. No, agree entirely. Yeah. I would say in this game, too, the only like complaint that I have that comes from like a feminist perspective that I can think of off the top of my head is that I didn't love the cattiness of Persephone and Hecate. And I think that's it because otherwise it's just handles everything really well. And you can tell that there were a lot of women in the room and a lot of trans people, non-binary people, whoever it may be. But like basically there were a lot of not white cisgender men in the room making this game and it shows. And it even says that at the beginning, there's like this notice every time you open up the game. It basically says that like this game, you know, is inspired by historical facts and made by a diverse group of genders and sexualities. And it wasn't all just like straight white men in the room. I really love that. And I also feel like in addition to the part where I get to climb on top of things. (laughs) So many things. You can climb everything in this game. That's the whole point of it. The part where I get to climb on top of things is a big sell, but the other part is the point of view character could be a queer woman. And that's like really exciting for me. Like that's that's not that common. I mean, maybe it is because I haven't really played video games in 10 years, but I feel like for me, that's like a thing that I really want. And I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think it's not. It's actually easier to make her queer. There's more women you can flirt with than there are men. I feel like I've made a promise to myself, Liv, and I haven't. I don't know if I've told you guys this. I don't think I told you this, Jen, but. You did. But you could say it again. (laughs) I'm going to pretend that this is new information. Exactly. (laughs) When I finish my book and it's out for agents, I'm going to buy this game because I want to play it really bad. But also I know if I play it, I'll never write my book. But maybe maybe the trade-off is fine. I've never heard this before. But I also feel like it will keep your mind off of being out on submission to agents. So I 100% support that. And I will be here to watch you play and live play and cheer you both on. And maybe one day I'll buy this game myself and run into the wall several times because I'm terrible at video games. Okay, no, I I really thought I was going to be so bad and it was hard at first. And now I'm like so good at it. I mean, there's truly so much to say. You get to go to the Olympics at one point. So the reason you end up at the Olympics um, is that Sparta wants you to take that their main athlete. You, they want you to accompany him and make sure he gets there safe. But but he's like this crazy drunk and you have to go get him on an island, get him on your ship. And he's like complaining the whole way. and He's so obnoxious and drunk. He's great. And then as soon as you land in Ellis to like take him to the Olympics, he literally tries to like reach for Cassandra. <laughs> and she moves like so they're on this dock and you can't avoid this it will happen in the game no matter what and so like you're you're on this dock and he's drunk and you finally arrive there and he's like bragging about how he's the best athlete and he tries to reach for her and she just moves so then he falls in the water and first they're like oh i hope he can swim and then he gets eaten by a shark and then so instead you have to compete at the olympics in place of him Oh, and his name is Testicles. <laughs> if you're going to name your child Testicles, you know what's going to happen to him in his early 20s. <laughs> He's going to get eaten by a shark. Hopefully Testicles first. Look, those Testicles are very tender. We call them shark nibblies. <laughs> sure. We'll call them shark nibblies. Let's. Oh, please. <laughs> Liv, thank you so much for coming on our show and for talking to us. 
about Assassin's Creed Odyssey and for making me buy this game, which I'm now going to blame on you when I buy it. Thank you for letting me talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, a many years old game that uh, is not at all new and fresh for over two hours. Well, that's okay, because here on Ancient History Fangirl, do we give a shit about the new and fresh? No. Here on Ancient History Fangirl, exactly. We like the old shit. (laughs) So we're so glad that you came on our podcast to talk about some old shit. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that I could rant. Thank you. Um, So who wants to promote their shit right now? Um, I host a podcast called Let's Talk About Myths, baby. You can find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, It is frankly easy to find and i uh, talk about greek myths and assassin's creed odyssey <laughs> and we are ancient history fangirl ancient history fan on twitter and facebook wait ancient history fan we ancient history fan <laughs> <laughs> this is going well <laughs> on twitter <laughs> what are you guys called again <laughs> please put this all in <laughs> We're at Ancient History Fan on Twitter and at Ancient History Fangirl on Instagram and Facebook. And if you like what we do and you want to help us keep growing, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. And if you feel flush with cash and you want to give us some money, we have a Patreon. It is at it is Ancient History Fangirl. Wait, it is patreon.com forward slash Ancient History Fangirl. So chuck some money our way and get some extra episodes. For as little as $2 a month. And Liv is on there a lot for $10 a month. She is. Because she's pricey. I sure am. I sure am. She is pricey, but we do tell drunk myths with her. And if you're like, how much more drunk could you get? Oh, we're talking Yule episode drunk. We could get much drunker. (laughs) Way drunker. I certainly get drunk normally. (laughs) I'm just so tired because it's 3 a.m., guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you whenever we see you next. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.